Welcome back to True History. My name is Talon Telford, and I'll be your host for this evening. And thank you for tuning in to the Fall of Camelot series. We're going to go ahead and start off right away here with the theories that are muddying the water associated with the death of John F. Kennedy. And with those, I think it's really hard to get to the root or the truth of what really happened in Dealey Plaza that day because of the fact that everybody wants to give their opinion and not rely on fact or understanding of what happened. And we're going to start off here with some of the theories that I believe need to be thrown out of the realm of true possibilities such as the Secret Service hood ornament gun theory, the Secret Service shoots him from the front seat theory, the three or five shooters happening to bounce bullets off signs to kill John F. Kennedy. Uh, we'll just really cover the main three. Did Lee Harvey Oswald kill him alone? Did he have a second shooter? Was there a political motivation for John F. Kennedy to have died? Which brings up, did the CIA do it? Did Castro do it? Did the mob do it? Let's go ahead and start off with the man himself, Lee Harvey Oswald. And of course, Lee Harvey Oswald did go to the Marines, as we all know. And he did uh, do relatively well in the Marines. Lee Harvey Oswald had a plan to go to school in Switzerland while he was in the active Marines and he was wanting to do this after he was done with his active service. After that it seems like while he was in the midst of doing that he was learning Russian, he was starting to reflect on Marxism, he was really starting to get into that Lee Harvey Oswald's uh, understanding of the political scheme of the 60s that he was feeling a little bit as an outsider and needing to push himself into that type of realm now it looks like sometime in 59 he applied for a dependence discharge because his mother needed somebody to come and help her and Lee Harvey Oswald applied for that and it looks like the Dependency Discharge Board recommended Oswald's request for discharge be approved and it was approved shortly after that and then he was transferred over into a Marine Air Reserve Training Command at the Naval Air Station in uh, Glenview about a year after he had shown up there his commanding officer while he was in the Marine Reserve started to reflect on how Lee Harvey Oswald was acting and came to this conclusion and in his letter he stated reliable information which indicate that he had renounced his US citizenship with his intentions of becoming a permanent citizen of the Soviet Union Furthermore, the petitioner brought discredit to the Marine Corps through adverse newspaper publicity which was generated by the foregoing action and thereby, in my opinion, proved himself to be unfit for retention 
in naval service. So what they're saying is because he has, this is the 60s, this is the height of the Cold War, he's becoming Marxist, it's actually been in the paper now, and they are freaking out and want him out of the Marine Corps because they don't think he's G.I. Joe or Marine Corps material. And that's one of the things that Oswald will have to deal with later when he's trying to come back from Russia, in which we all know that he went to Russia. Potentially he provided them some information associated with the Marine Corps, as I'm sure that people thought that he had, and he was considered to be a traitor. And then we also have the reflections of, in late January, Oswald received a uh, letter from his mother telling him that he'd been dishonorably discharged from the Marines uh, of when he is on his way back from Russia. And this kind of gives him a real fear of being prosecuted from providing some of the information to the Russians of the Marine Corps. He actually started writing to John Connolly. And yes, John Connolly, the governor of Texas in 63, the former Secretary of Navy that was appointed there by John F. Kennedy at the behest of Lyndon Johnson. So we're starting to get that web of, of politicalness that is starting to come out to decide whether or not was there a political motive he wrote Connolly who was apparently off from being the Secretary of Navy and he is a, trying to run for governor of Texas and he wrote a letter that says I wish to call to your attention to the case in which you may have a personal knowledge since you were a resident of Fort Worth as I am in November 69, an event that is well publicated, the forward newspapers concerning a person who had gone to the Soviet Union to reside for a short time. In person, in answers to questions to put to him by reporters in Moscow, criticized certain facets of American life. The story was blown up into another turncoat sensation, which he's worried about being deemed a traitor, which the result that the Navy Department gave this person a belated dishonorable discharge, although he received an honorable discharge after three years of service on September 11, 1959 at El Toro Marine Corps Base in California. These are basic facts of my case, which he did serve uh, in the active Marine Corps but however is not reflecting that he had to do two years of reserve because he was let out due to needing to be the dependent. And he goes on and says, I have and always had a full uh, understanding of the U.S. Embassy in Moscow, USSR, and hence the U.S. government. And in as much as I am returning to the USA in this year, which I will have with the aid of the U.S. Embassy bringing with me my family since I married in the USSR, I shall employ all means to right this gross mistake or injustice to a bona fide U.S. citizen and ex-serviceman. 
the U.S. government has no charges or complaints against me. I ask you to look into this case and take the necessary steps to repair the damage done to me and my family. For information, I would direct you to consult the American Embassy in Moscow, USSR. Now, see, Connolly referred the letter to the Department of Navy, which sent Oswald a letter saying, Hey, we completed, and no change is going to happen to your discharge. And on March 22nd, Oswald wrote the department insisting that his discharge be given further full review. And of course, the department promptly replied saying that they have no authority to do that. If you want to, you can petition the Navy Discharge Review Board. Of course, Oswald went ahead and did that when he was back into the United States to no avail. Um, he was still on the, the understanding that he got a dishonorable discharge when all understanding is it is a undesirable discharge. Now, is it a black eye and is it really a problem for Lee Harvey Oswald and his family? Absolutely. As you can tell, he says, and take the necessary steps to repair the damage done to me and my family because he knows when he comes back, he does not have a high school education. And when he comes back, he has only the fact that he was a U.S. Marine and that he was discharged honorably for that Marine Corps and an understanding that he had done everything correctly in his opinion to have an honorable discharge. And the thing is that because his commanding officer noticed and understood that Oswald was having this indication here where he was going to renounce his citizenship. He had been in the newspaper showing that his true colors associated with the Soviet Union and blackening the eye of the Marine Corps and being in the middle of the Cold War. It was undesirable for him to be part of the Marine Corps anymore. And that was the basis of his discharge. He and Connolly now are starting to be intertwined. He wrote several times to John Connolly to try to get that dishonorable discharge as he wrote or understood it to be removed. And of course, as I stated before, John Connolly was actually appointment of the Secretary of Navy by John F. Kennedy. And his friend was Lyndon Baines. Johnson and he was actually an aide when uh, Johnson was a senator for the state of Texas so Connolly and Johnson really knew each other quite well and he had talked Kennedy into saying okay well you got a buddy let's go ahead and give him a, an appointment now that we won the, the White House so at that point uh, he was appointed but shortly after that Connolly had seen that the Texas governorship was up for grabs and he wanted to have that under his belt and he went through and ran for for governor of Texas ended his association with the Secretary of Navy and in fact won his governorship and was put into office in January of 1963 and 
he was now the individual who rode in the jump seat between Secret Service agents in the front seat and John F. Kennedy in the back seat. Now, associated with that, John F. Kennedy started off being born in May of 1917. He had had a very famous father who some believe ran the liquor in the 20s and 30s and built a mass fortune for himself. The Kennedy name brings a lot of association with wealth and a lot of mystique itself. And of course he married Jackie Kennedy and of course uh, she was happy to be with Jack. Now Jack had been sick as a child several times. In fact it, even when he got older and he had gone to Harvard and he was playing football and he ended up hurting his back severely rupturing a disc in his back and from there on having back pain and he was a sickly child and had this incurable disease that had made him weaker than he should be and there was a lot of things with Jack that made him less than desirable as a uh, political figure or as even when he wanted to be in World War II, his father had to step in and grease the wheels so that he could actually even get into the uh, military at that time. Now, one of the things about him is that he was really a good guy. So they say, or so it, it's known to be. Now, was he perfect? No, but he started out um, being in Harvard Law School, and of course, he went into the Naval Reserves. During World War II, he commanded a PT boat in the Pacific Theater, which got rammed by a destroyer, which he saved one of his crewmates by swimming with chronic back pain, I might add, so swimming, being rammed with a destroyer to his little boat, destroyed it. He swam with one of his compadres, life jacket, tethers in his mouth to a island in the Pacific. And that put a huge amount of strain on his back and he never was right since then. He went through four back surgeries. He had really had very little peace. Now he did receive a, a Navy and Marine Corps medal for heroism he did go to the house of representatives he was elected to the senate and um, of course he did um, publish a lot of books and uh, won pulitzer um, and was elected president i mean he really did have a very good political understanding of himself and he did beat Richard Nixon in the election in 60 um, and he was relatively young so he ran on the fact that he had great health, was very athletic. However, that really wasn't the case. With his political career, he had Fidel Castro in the Bay of Pigs invasion, which failed. And they wanted to do a, a false flag on Americans that he rejected, Operation Northlands. He had the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, he actually got tough on crime. Uh, he put forth a nuclear treaty. He wanted to go ahead and stay out of Vietnam, push for new and unexpected things here at the home state. So 
not only did he have all those things going on in the foreign, such as the Cuban Missile Crisis, the Bay of Pigs invasion, all that stuff, he also got somebody to land on the moon, he also got the Civil Rights Movement, uh, all that stuff was actually enacted um, under Johnson, uh, partially, but it was his idea. It was his brainchild was John F. Kennedy's. And he went ahead and put that out. So he did have quite a bit of understanding. Now, you do have to realize this is the height of the Cold War as well. So when I say the Cuban Missile Crisis, we all understand that that was, what, a half an hour from actual nuclear war. Um, and that meant mutual destruction from um, the U.S. and Russia. Um, Vietnam, he, he did increase the number of advisors, but his, his programs were that he really didn't want to get into a uh, conflict in Vietnam. He wanted to not show the spread of communism uh, associated with Southeast Asia. And uh, that's understandable. Um, especially in the 60s where communism was the devil which got us back into the understanding that Lee Harvey Oswald was a Marxist so he's pushing for communism and of course uh, uh, people didn't like that so it seems like all three were interwebbed together and they seem to be interwebbed together through several several different ways one politically um, contradicting sides of the aisle. Now, uh, associated with this, we're going to go to Texas. Dallas, Texas was not a friendly place for Kennedy during that time period. And because of that time period, he was actually on a fundraising campaign when he was assassinated um, to drum up some, some support for that state so that he can and could have his coffers full when he ran for president in 64. That being stated, Texas, and specifically Dallas, had chased um, certain politicians off previously uh, with the rhetoric of, of people like John F. Kennedy. In fact, even before Kennedy came, they had wanted posters of him with 20 or so crimes in which he would be treated for treason so this was not necessarily a friendly place associated with john f kennedy and a lot of people were aware of that however the reflection is that john f kennedy went there anyways because of the fact that they didn't they didn't feel the same way they didn't fear because it was just politically motivated and individuals really didn't look at Kennedy as being a true treasonous individual. He had just he had just had the understanding that it was all politically motivated. Now the Secret Service had set up of course um, a detail of an individual that went to Texas previously. Normally they have two. They were a little short-handed but there was a field office there in Dallas, Texas of um, Secret Service individuals. So they had their own field office there and the individual came and really kind of set up all the 
necessary things for John F. Kennedy. Now, one of the things that a lot of people will be complaining about is that the Secret Service was not doing their due diligence with John F. Kennedy. Now, you have to understand the way that John F. Kennedy politicked was that he was trying to be a man of the people, and that is how he saw himself. He was full of hubris. He was full of his own pride, and they, he thought that, of course, he was, he was able to handle anything that would come his way associated with that so he didn't like he didn't like having a whole bunch of secret servicemen around him to tell him that he couldn't do something after all he figured he was the president of the united states and he really would prefer to be be left wide open and not be put into a a small um, so to speak, corner where he couldn't actually be with the people. And that was part of the issue with John F. Kennedy, specifically this trip as well, because there'll be a lot of individuals who say that the Secret Service wasn't on the back of the limousine, the Secret Service wasn't doing this. But I will tell you that the Secret Service was there, did have a field office, they're in Dallas, Texas, so there were many of them. I think they only took 28 on their trip. However, like I said, in Dallas there's a field office with hundreds of them. So to think that there was not enough security for John F. Kennedy is a little ridiculous. Plus, they had the state and local police. They had many other things that were going on um, for them. So. Uh, the Secret Service did do an adequate job in providing um, the level of security that John F. Kennedy wanted them to provide. So I'm not blaming them uh, for not protecting him against uh, Lee Harvey Oswald or any other assassin that would be, okay? I would like to really reiterate that that I'm not blaming the Secret Service for any any fact that they didn't protect the president enough with this trip to Dallas um, it was a politically motivated trip but he took Jackie with him which kind of disarmed the individuals with uh, within the community where Jackie Kennedy was there and she is, of course, uh, on par with how we treated Princess Di or Michelle Obama. So we, we seem to put First Ladies ahead of everything else that would be associated with the President. So if the First Lady came, it's a huge deal to be associated with the First Lady. And it's not necessarily politically motivated. Back in the 1960s, Jackie Kennedy was the height of style and grace and uh, just mystique of being uh, somebody of taste. And you would just want to be around that. So a lot of the individuals there, in fact, Kennedy made fun of it himself uh, before his assassination in, in Texas, was that he was just the man that happened to be escorting Jackie Kennedy around. 
and uh, which was a funny joke and he was able to poke fun at the fact that he was trying to lighten the mood in Texas because it was uh, such a state that didn't like his policies and really had a, a disdain for him and by bringing Jackie there it didn't feel like it was political so uh, with that we're going to go ahead and end here on our first one this is our first one these are the facts prior to that fateful day on November 22nd 1963 and this is part one of True's History's Fall of Camelot. I want to thank you all for coming in and listening in in this short period of time. You have a great day and I look forward for you to be back.